0: LegalizeFreedom.com
1: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Royce Christian who joins us to discuss how a deeper understanding of science and psychology can aid positive thinking and manifesting practices. Christian's new book, Scripting the Life You Want, is so much more than just another how-to manifesting handbook. It is an exploration of the cutting-edge science which makes manifesting possible. Unlike many who claim to offer the secret of creating the life you really want, Christian goes beyond the simplistic and superficial routines which leave so many seekers frustrated to uncover the hidden mechanisms which shape our reality. Mechanisms understood by magicians of ages past, and by media manipulators of the present day, which can be mastered by individuals to take control of their lives in these turbulent times. If you're not truly in control of your life, you can be sure that someone else is. But without insight into how our reality is created, self-mastery may remain a mystery. Hello and welcome, Royce and thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Greg. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here.
1: Royce, today we're going to be talking about your brand new book that's entitled Scripting the Life You Want, Manifest Your Dreams with Just Pen and Paper. Before we dive into that, just tell listeners a little bit about your background, uh, your work and career. And also, in my recorded introduction, I said a little bit about uh, the main topic of our discussion, New Thought, what many people know, As positive thinking and i normally invite guests to talk about their personal background and in your case your personal background your you know your growing up was very much steeped in uh new thought and positive thinking so just grab any and all of that and and let us know (laughs) what you want to
0: you're you're gonna make me do the do the intro of myself huh no i'm kidding um i actually (laughs) prefer that because i i I, it's very awkward sometimes to sit here and, and have people read off my bio um like you said, I, I actually hate the term new thought. Of course it's one of those things it's like the the necessary evil where it's really the only phrase that exists to kind of encapsulate this entirety of, you know, a self help movement and, and positive thinking and law of attraction and meditation and but you know, I, I just personally think it's we're so much deeper and further along than just thinking. Obviously, that's what my book's about. So like you said, I grew up you know, I grew up with a family that encouraged and and really taught me from a very young age the principles of meditation and positive thinking and the idea that you can create your own reality and you know people who read my book will see from the very first chapter i talk about my mom and my grandma and you know when all my other friends were going to uh you know their their different religious schools or you know sunday school or hebrew school or, or what have you i was on sundays usually learning uh power of You know, uh, positive thinking and meditation, and whatever whatever it would be that week. So, you know, definitely that part of my growing up was very different. But like you said, I have a very uh, strange and funny background. I I was an actor for years. I mean, I'm only 32, so I I did that as a child in theater, and then I moved to L.A. when I was 16, and I was a Nickelodeon, and I was on the Disney Channel. Um, One of the big stories that I talk about uh, in my book is that I ended up uh, using my manifestation practices to book a role as Selena Gomez's boyfriend on the sitcom Wizards of Waverly Place, which was also on Disney Channel. So uh, after that, my late teens, early 20s, I became a writer and documentary director. And uh, behind the scenes, I've been coaching uh, a lot of high end real estate clients and business professionals, and sports people and everything else on just really using science and uh, a lot of the principles of new thought to create what they want in their lives. So that's what I've been doing for a while. And finally, a bunch of my friends said, you really need to start writing this down because this is interesting stuff. And, you know, I'm glad that I did and I'm glad I listened. And, uh, this is my first book. It's called scripting the life you want. So I'm really happy that we're here and, uh, it's seeming to, to connect with people. Uh, and obviously, you know, we talked off air a little bit. It's not really a book just on manifesting. Um, it's kind of a, I think it, it, it definitely does a 180 halfway through.
1: I eventually came to what we can loosely call new thought via ritual magic. And when I was first reading about that, it was setting out magic, you know, the very simple terms as, you know, the science and art of causing, you know, change through power of your will. That is the idea that mind can affect matter. And there right. was, there was some science around that when, in the 1980s, uh, when I first began to explore it. But I'd say, but then magic led me on to, you know, to, to new thought, positive thinking. But one of the things that throughout all the reading that I did, there was very, very little of what I really wanted to try and probe, which was the mechanics of this. How could this possibly work? If you had some, right. you know, psychic researchers, researching mind and matter and the relationship between the two where they overlap and how one can affect the other but that never seemed to be directly mapped on to to the ideas the traditions of magic or you know the traditions of, of positive thinking and you thought any of this ability that we have to directly affect our environment so and that that was frustrating for a long time for me and I think that that well, the result of that has been that many uh magical practitioners but especially Members of the public, you know, who are not otherwise interested in uh, the esoteric, shall we say, who come to positive thinking through popular books, they get frustrated and they basically go nowhere with it because they either don't believe it can work or they don't have any inkling of what the mechanisms might be. And when you begin to probe that, I think it lends a lot of weight to the ideas. And as you said a moment ago, that's really what you're uh, exploring here in the book.
0: Yeah, and I think you nailed it. I also... You know, I, I grew up in the in early 90s and, and 2000s, and, and now we're at, what, my goodness, 2020 now. Uh, and there wasn't a ton of science out there, at least, that was starting to bridge the worlds of, of what we consider, you know, spirituality, magic, manifestation with science. And I think that's, you know, I am a person who... Just digs and digs and digs, and I'm that very annoying nerdy guy who just wants to know why everything works, so you know by nature, just you know growing up in in this world, but also you know in acting, all you do is you study you study every facet of whether it's a character or, or an environment you know we're basically taught to be really, really great researchers and then, as I grew older and I, I started to work in documentaries and and I started to really focus on writing I mean, what do you do there? you research so um I definitely wanted to bring the fact that there is so much concrete evidence and so much science and so many papers out there that proves to a lot of people who, like you said, might be on the edge or don't want to take it further. But it proves what what we're starting to see. What we've really known about for decades and even centuries in the case of, of magic uh, science is finally catching up. And in, in a lot of cases, they're actually looking towards the spiritual communities, the communities, like you said, even of magic, esoteric, whatever you want to call that. They're looking to, the science community is looking to them to say, oh, okay, wait, what, what blanks can we help fill in here? So it, it's been fascinating. And, you know, like you said, for, for my book, it's interesting because there were really two main issues that i had personally with most books on manifestation and the first one was the laziness and and i, I say this lovingly because obviously i have so many writers and other authors that I admire not every one of them is lazy but there was a laziness when it came to the science um and one of the big ones you would always hear is is quantum physics or quantum mechanics just sort of thrown around and just say that explains it that's how manifesting works so i i made I mean, sure, because I am a giant science nerd. I think it's a 25-page actual uh, hardcore explainer, if you will, of quantum mechanics is in my book. But, you know, quantum mechanics doesn't explain everything. And I think that's actually a good thing, because there's a lot of other sciences that, to me, are more interesting, like neuroscience and audiology, the science of hearing. There's all these different worlds that are proving things that, you know— to us explain why manifestation works, why magic works, but also I think it's, it's fascinating to watch the worlds of science and spirituality sort of collide right now. So that was the first thing I really wanted to cover. And the second one, you know, for me personally, that I really would get frustrated with when I would look at a lot of the books and things out there, materials on manifestation was people didn't like to talk about the fact that sometimes things just don't manifest or it doesn't work. And that was something that, you know, I, I think a lot of my clients and students I, that I've had over the last decade really appreciate it, which were, you know, I like to talk about the science of memetics and memes and, you know, all these different things that sort of explain how not all of our thoughts come to us from us. You know, obviously, we've known about that in when it comes to advertising or, you know, subliminals or all these things, but it's, it's actually a lot less scary than people think it is because it's a lot easier to fix. But in the same token, no one ever wanted to talk about this fact that just sometimes people don't manifest what they want or they manifest things and really bad stuff happens later. You know, there, there, was, there was all these different areas of that that I really wanted to cover in this book. So that w- was what I landed on, was I really wanted to teach people how to manifest, but I also wanted to give... The skeptics out there, which are the ones I love to work with, you know, here's all the science you need. And if if anything, this book, at least in 20, 30 years, people can always go back to it if they have their really skeptical friend. And they could take it off their bookshelf and say, here, and they could go through the last five chapters. So that was the big one. And the other one was explaining to people why sometimes things don't manifest or don't manifest completely or maybe manifest differently. And then also what they could do to fix that. So those are the two areas uh, that I really wanted to focus on when I wrote this.
1: Well, yeah, well we'll get to memetics uh, shortly because that's extremely important. Uh, as far as quantum physics goes you're absolutely correct to point out this of course has been much you know misconstrued and misrepresented uh, often very lazily e- even uh, by well-meaning people. You know they look at some of the you know revelations of uh, quantum mechanics uh, that you know as the 20th century went by and particularly into the early 21st and it just seems to explain so much doesn't it but it's rather too easy to to put two and two together and get five. And I think concepts like non-locality and the idea that future, you know, that the outcomes can affect causes and what have you, that led a lot of people to sort of make an easy mapping across uh, two right. new thought principles.
0: Right. Uh, you're 100% correct. I think part of the thing that I noticed was there was a lot of, uh, I, 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 <laughs> I don't really have a better word, but regurgitation. There was a lot of it seemed to me, and, you know, I read pretty much everything. So every science book and research paper and textbook, but also every book that is put out. And what I started to notice was it seemed to me that a lot of authors were, you know, reading other authors that they enjoyed or they admired and sort of putting their own spin on quantum physics. But what happened was no one was really going back to the source material. So that was was something that I noticed, at least in the early 21st century, especially the first five to 10 years of the 2000s there was a lot of uh there's a lot of great books but they just don't quite nail quantum physics um at all so that's why i really wanted to at least give the 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 good side and the bad side of why it explains it and why it doesn't but like you you just mentioned you know there's been a lot of shifts and changes in science and you said that in the introduction um where there was just nothing to to give anyone who was interested in the stuff that you and i are anything to really explain why it worked um the last five to ten years has been almost an overload of, of, of why things like what we're talking about work.
1: Well, Frank, for a lot of people, for a lot of lay people, any understanding that they have whatsoever or an understanding they believe they have of quantum physics has come to them through popular channels. It may well have been, you know, manifest your dreams type books, you know, in the sort of spirituality section in the bookstore. I did five years of physics in the 1980s in a high school level. And oh, wow. W- of course, um, Einstein was mentioned, when I say five years of physics, I mean as a module, you know, along with everything else. Um, well, still,
0: it's better than a lot of people can say.
1: <laughs> now, of course, Einstein was mentioned, and quantum physics may have been mentioned as a, an, a field of study, but we didn't do anything on it whatsoever. You would have thought by the late 1980s that it would be a sufficiently developed field that, that teenagers could cope with having some of the basics explained. So the reason I mention this is because the first time I came to it, was through. I don't remember what the book would have been now, but um, it would have been through a popular science book, essentially. Uh, right. You know, which are very a very diluted kind of understanding of it. So it's perhaps no wonder that it's been easy for new thought writers and thinkers in the 21st century and and people who want to, to uh, are looking for that material to uh, you know race to conclusions that are perhaps that aren't really there.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that, That's one of the most interesting things. Um, you just brought up about three really fascinating points. I think, um, you know, even in my own high school, I, I loved physics and I loved biology. I loved science. I was in the college courses of science in my high school. So I, 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 I totally understand. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, you know, I think the books that I had, in you know 2002 2003 were probably written in the late 70s, and that was just in public school. You know that was, and I'm thinking that that might be part of what we experienced, where the, the textbooks were older. But I I don't know. You know, it's interesting because we never learned about quantum physics even uh, when I was in school, at least in my schooling, which I think was pretty excellent for 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 public school and even any other kind of school. Uh, we had one of the better ones in the country, and I think that it is it is a case of people finding it or, or learning about it from popular culture or maybe some sort of regurgitation of it from some other authors. That, it, that that was the thing. It just was so watered down. So, you know, for me, quantum physics points to a lot of possible paths. But as I point out in the book, and I say this lovingly because I do know some physicists. Or I know a lot of scientists. and Some of them even endorse the book. Um, science is kind of a mess right now quantum science and quantum mechanics and anybody who reads the any scientific journals or papers or you know even talks to a physicist the physicist will tell you that there is so much going on there's so many crises going on mentally there's there's I talked to one uh, one person who called himself a recovering physicist or recovering quantum physicist because there there's they're, they there's so many unknowns and there's so many things that are shifting day to day. And he put it to me this way. He said it's it's almost like finding out the answer to a problem that you concrete and hundred percent know you will not have any way of explaining to people for about two hundred years and you don't have any way to get like the actual uh, you know, problem or calculation out to how you'd get the answer. It's almost like they're getting the answers first, which, you know, is funny and sort of ironic in and of itself because that's uh, a little bit of what people sort of think quantum physics is but there are just so many uh, contradictions and and just issues going on in quantum physics that and especially lately that even when i was doing the bulk of the research for this book back in 2016 2017 2018 and the more uh, months that would go by the worse it looked it was you know and it's not because they're they're bad or something's wrong it's just there are so many unknowns in that world and i point this out in my book that it's 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 kind of hard to at this point i feel personally to use that as the only science to buffer up a system that i think a lot of people are already skeptical of the idea of creating your own reality and it, and it, you know I understand there's there are people even like myself. I you know I just have this sort of uh, curse of always kind of wanting to get into other people's heads and and look at it through their eyes. So while it may be fine for me and you or you know whoever to just have the quantum physics aspect, I knew that wasn't going to be enough for a lot of people. So that's why I made sure to get down uh, to my knowledge, which is you know the, the best explainer. And again, it takes about twenty pages of what is and is not quantum mechanics in my book but then you know we move on to some other really interesting research um one of my favorites being uh professor donald hoffman who's here in california uh who has studied uh perception and i have always taught perception and and then the the uh the brain and and how we actually take in the information of the environment around us is one of the most important keys and components to understanding how we create a reality because just as a as a teacher and as a coach i've had so many fascinating examples over the years, where people really just start perceiving things that were already there and they become these great manifestations in their lives.
1: Well, I think in terms of science and spirituality, these are two, two areas of, of reality, of existence that have been, that were driven apart a few centuries ago, uh, but spent the longest time, many millennia prior to that being intric- intricately entwined or at least somehow yes. related you know and you would have they were one
0: in the same i was yeah. just having this conversation with my mother actually
1: well, a few yeah, weeks exactly. ago so in
0: they it- were the same study you know there yeah. was no separation
1: exactly exactly and i get the feeling um I, I don't this is just sort of obviously we look back thousands of years if you go back to as far as we can in human history you know things start to get very foggy but from that point forward it seems to me that um there's all sorts of Uh, oscillations and undulations that take place in human history, human evolution and our relationship to uh, natural phenomena and the planet. And these sort of things rise and fall. And it seems to me that science and spirituality have drifted apart and drifted together again over time. And they became very far apart, you know, basically the scientific revolution, I suppose, and uh, perhaps the enlightenment to an extent. But I feel that there is a convergence that's been happening, but obviously obviously, Given the background situation that we're, we live in now, the societies we have, obviously that's causing a lot of friction. Um, but I, I think that's the direction of travel. And certainly I would say two recent guests I had with two very good books with a lot that listeners here may appreciate is uh, Dean Radin, uh, who's a psychical researcher. Hmm. His book, Real Magic. Uh, Steve Taylor, he's a British psychologist. His book, Spiritual Science. Either of those books You'll find interviews with both of them with those titles at com. Something else for people to dip into, but just further evidence of, of this convergence, I feel, that is underway.
0: Oh, I 100% agree with you. I think that that is exactly what's happening. I know that that is what's happening. I had a uh, meal... Emil- we had dinner with a, a friend of ours who is a very well-known scientist who, you know, I have I'm, I'm, I have a lot of friends in a lot of different worlds, and, you know, that's one benefit of, of living the life that I've lived. We, you know, I've gotten to meet a lot of interesting people over the years, and about two years ago, I had dinner, and um, it was this great scientist, and they basically said exactly what you just did, and the problem being that a lot of the scientists at least that i've spoken with are afraid of repercussion or you know what the other people in the scientific world are going to say but you know about their sort of newfound spirituality or them realizing that the bridge is uh, getting very strong and very uh short to the world of spirituality from the world of science what i've recognized and i've seen though is almost every person that i've interacted with and these are people who i didn't even know had any interest in anything you know out of the ordinary you know we're friends for other reasons but you know they would bring up this this talk of spirituality and how everything's starting to bridge back together and it seems to me like there's a lot of people in the world of science there's this this balloon that's about to burst any at any point here of everybody just finally saying okay you know there there is a connection here something massive is about to happen and you know i think really to to move forward especially in the world that we're living in right now it would only make sense for there to be a sort of at least a mild at the at the at the least recombining of of these worlds but that's the coolest thing it's nothing that you know you or i or anybody have to push like you said there's a lot of other authors who who do this Full time. I mean, I, I do it full time from a different perspective, where I don't just research the science. You know, I like to teach people how to to live the lives that they want as well. And I, and I know that there are authors out there who are f- fabulous researchers and who are actual scientists, which I am not. But I think that I'm sure you, as as a host of a show like this, are probably hearing this exact uh you know sentiment that there is a lot of. I was shocked, at least personally, to see how much. Uh, the scientific world to me seems to be, and this is the very you know corporate science world, the very buttoned-up science world that you would never expect to be looking over at, at us, if you will. But they're they're starting to create this dialogue and communication, and it's it's really interesting to see. At least for me, and it's exciting because I think that um, a lot may have been lost, or if not lost, just sort of I think a lot of people missed out by having that disconnection uh exists as you talked about for for so long between the two worlds i'm not saying that there isn't a place for uh one or the other and there's some benefit to having them be separate but there is something missing and i think that everybody on both sides has has sensed this for a a long time so it's not surprising this is happening that's sort of bridging back together
1: well i sometimes point skeptics to um you know government research programs of, of of the past, you know, when they're kind of saying, "Oh, you know, paranormal guff," you know, what are you on about, and you know, remote viewing and mind control and everything. Yeah. That's then, it. meanwhile,
0: they have like four hundred different programs going on to research it. Yeah. Yeah. And ex- that's funny how they do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, but so it's quite often it's like you know this is not for you sort of thing. You know, we'll debunk. We'll
0: debunk. <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah. We'll, we'll debunk
1: this that. in public. You know, but we'll, we'll we'll have some people look into it, sort of thing. No, I mean. I think a lot of people are quite ready to accept, even the most skeptical, they'll accept simple you know, things that they might have learned at science class in school that, you know, in, for human beings, the spectrum, our, our visual spectrum, that which we can see, you know, is limited to certain frequencies of light. The frequencies of sound that we can hear are limited, you know, on our pets, cats and dogs. They can hear and see a bit more at either end of the extreme of the spectrum that we can and that's fine you know this is why cats sometimes appear to chase things that aren't there it's why dogs prick up their ears when we can't hear anything and that that seems fairly uncontroversial but i sometimes use that as a starting point to say okay well just think about that so you accept that there's something (laughs) there's something beyond your five senses that there there is something out there uh things that we some of which we've explained Uh, Quantum physics is a very good example. You know, all these things that we couldn't see, we couldn't be aware of without our um, electron microscopes and without our hadron collider and everything else. So, but it seems that if you class certain phenomena, they label them in a certain way, they become more or less acceptable. So for example, to me, supernatural and paranormal. So that's what? That's just somehow above natural, outside of natural, outside of normal. Well, you know, that that what we consider normal, natural, expands and contracts all the time depending on the age that we're living in so if you take that as a starting point and and we accept that we don't understand everything then I don't think it's such a big leap to at least look at as you say what the new new scientific advances um, are suggesting but I think there's all sorts of other complex psychological reasons why people resist um, things like that not least of which that people like certainty as a species we like certainty we like to know that the answers are in we don't like the idea that we don't know what's going on
0: well i mean my goodness then i think if we are if there was any a time for people to start maybe paying attention and uh maybe accepting that you know there's some other phenomenon and aspects of the world out there i mean no one knows what's going on right now so this is you know i think a lot of people have been really uh you know r- diving into the research and and reading a lot more books and you know with everything Going on globally, um, you know, the only thing that seems to be certain is uncertainty. So, and I say that not to, you know, I don't like it as much as the next person and I'm not uh, making light of it. It's a very serious situation for a lot of people, you know, health wise and, and what have you. But the, if there's any, um, thing that maybe some people are finding in in sort of this hour of darkness it seems to be that their open-mindedness is is sort of re-emerging or emerging for the first time it's funny you mentioned supernatural because at the beginning of chapter six i think it's on the second or third page i actually go through the definition of the word supernatural because it really just is this sort of uh it's an actual you know oxford definition and it's just what's beyond the the visible i mean it's a provable existence that's really something we can't see i mean i, I go into it, it it's a lot more eloquent when you read it but um, even the word magic you know i it's it's just this if you really go down to the base definitions in in merriam-webster or in the oxford dictionary i mean there the the definitions are Fascinating. I mean, magic is just this idea. I, I just opened up to it. So it's the power of influencing events by using forces relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe that transcend the currently understood laws of nature. And I think that's something that's really interesting. It's just they say right there they, it, that magic is something that transcends the currently understood laws of nature. And I think that's really interesting coming out of, uh, you know, such a prestigious uh, dictionary as merriam-webster and, and oxford i mean the, the if you really go into these definitions of these words that people dismiss they're not so dismissible when you look at the base when you look at the core when you look at what they really mean
1: well there's there's lots of things that i would previously learned about when i was young through science fiction and fantasy concepts such as uh, the simulation hypothesis, um, <laughs> holographic universe, multiverse. These are all things that I read about in science fiction, basically. And you find these phrases now, if you, you Google them, you find them cropping up in all sorts of research papers and popular science articles. Uh, but as with the basic understandings or the uh, revelations of quantum physics, talking about the implications of any of these ideas, now, obviously things like simulation and the multiverse, and everything, they're just hypotheses, there's, you know... Uh, theoretical scenarios that they're trying to reach to would some of these perhaps explain observable reality but in any event going to implications I think is where you find establishment science and particularly the science media you know the people who present science to the masses going into all sorts of self-contradictory convulsions to say oh yeah yeah that is that is true that is the case that's been measured but it doesn't mean anything you know we've observed this effect But as far as your life is concerned and the the physical world that we live in, it doesn't mean anything. It has no implications. You know, quite the opposite is true.
0: Right. Well, that's why, you know, I mentioned earlier and I talk about uh, Professor Donald Hoffman in my book a lot. Uh, He's a cognitive scientist from uh, University of California in Irvine. And uh, if anybody out there is is listening to this, um, I highly recommend he has a TED talk from either 2015 or 2016. But it's brilliant and um what he and his research students discovered is that evolution does not favor reality and he has been studying perception for the last 3 decades i mean he's studied everything really that we've talked about um even uh artificial intelligence and and just sort of the idea of there being like a, a an evolutionary game theory if you will but you know his his uh, conclusion and, and there is so much science to back it up and I, I lay it all out in my book and his it's only a twenty minute TED talk and it will blow your mind. I mean I know it blew mine when I first saw it. But he, he takes you on this journey and when you get to this this, this sort of uh, conclusion, you know, he talks he gives us example of sort of the way that we see through our eyes what is out there, what we think is our world is, is more like the desktop on our computer. And, you know, we may have a, a folder on our desktop on our on our computer and and inside of that may be something that we've written you know maybe a speech or a paper but that's not actually a folder and that's not actually a piece of paper that we've written something on and it goes on and on but the point being that you know we don't need to see all those diodes and resistors and all the electronic components of what makes up the screen to actually create the illusion of a folder we just need to see the folder and that's what he has discovered is is a lot of the way that our brain perceives the actual reality around us. And basically as we have evolved, our evolution has not made the perception of reality anywhere close to a priority. And one of the coolest things and sort of scariest things, but coolest because it you know, it, it really allows us to dive into all of these fascinating worlds and even the things you just mentioned and it leaves the door open for things like a holographic world and a holographic universe open because what he did was he would run uh simulations of of humans and in any case when when the actual reality was allowed open in the test of these simulated humans when it was uh, essentially what was actually out there was allowed to uh, be known in these test uh, fake AI versions of humanity, the humanity would die out. So again, that just backed up his, uh, his conclusion that he had already made, which is that our evolution did not put... Uh, observing and and seeing exactly what is in our reality as a priority at all, and that really opens the door. To me, it blows open the door to every possibility. Um, and this is not some crazy fringe scientist. And I always I always want to make sure that I'm really clear about that. He's not someone that is just sort of labeled as some. Wacky guy, you know, kind of off on the sidelines. I mean, no, he's a very, very well-respected, very admired, um, you know, cognitive scientist from one of the most prestigious universities in the world, and he's been, you know, very quietly beating this drum for about five or six years now. And I think it's interesting because, you know, he—if you read anything he's written or watch him speak—he, this is not where he ended up or wanted to be necessarily or thought he would this is not the reason he didn't go into these these uh experiments and into this research three decades ago thinking that he would come out of it realizing that humans do not see reality or perceive reality at all um he, he this isn't where he thought he'd end up but here he is and i, I really admire him for not trying to bury it and instead you know really talking about it in in a really intelligent and um very i think smart way the way he conveys his message is not all doom and gloom i mean he's a very happy guy and i can't say that all scientists or researchers in his position would you know be able to smile if they thought that they figured out what he had figured out but you know i think that is a testament to the fact that maybe what is in the observable reality versus what's in the actual reality is not some scary you know bad thing and in fact it's, it's something exciting for us as humans to to look
1: into That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com